0: Merdeka! Merdeka!
1: Merdeka!
0: The country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia?
1: 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia podcast. This is your host, Charlotte Stiadi. I'm an Assistant Professor of Humanities at Singapore Management University in Singapore. In today's episode, we will be continuing our coverage of how Indonesia is being impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. In particular, today we'll be focusing on the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and how the government is dealing with the crisis. By early June, official data from the government shows that the COVID-19 virus has infected more than 27,500 people and killed at least 1,600 Indonesians. So far, four provinces and 11 regencies and cities nationwide had implemented movement restriction orders that forces offices, factories, and retail shops to close, as well as limiting people's movement. As the virus wreaks havoc across the country and businesses are forced to close, the World Bank predicts that Indonesia's economy may shrink by as much as 3.5% this year. The government is now pushing ahead to reopen the economy to prevent further weakening. This is despite a surge in coronavirus infections nationwide. Officials from the Finance Ministry said that the government's decision to reopen the economy was aimed at preventing massive bankruptcy and speeding up the economic recovery process after the threat had subsided. At the same time, the government has announced that it is rolling out a $44.3 billion U.S. dollars economic recovery stimulus package to strengthen its safety net programs, as well as to provide cash injections to state-owned enterprises and subsidize loan interest for SMEs, among other things. But many are arguing that the push to reopen businesses and ease movement restrictions is premature and extremely risky, considering that Indonesia still has a very high infection and death rates as it is now. A second wave of COVID-19 infections in Indonesia could be catastrophic and may result in massive loss of lives. How badly has the COVID-19 pandemic affected Indonesia's economy so far, and which sectors and sections of society have been impacted the most? Is the government's push to reopen the economy premature, and what can the government do to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 while also minimizing the damage to the economy? To talk more about the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic in Indonesia, I speak to Puspa Lima Amri. Dr. Puspa Delima Amri is Assistant Professor of Economics at Sonoma State University. She is also a research associate at the Claremont Institute of Economic Policy Studies and a regular visiting fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Jakarta. Puspa has a PhD in Economics and Political Science from Claremont Graduate University. Her research has focused on political economy factors in explaining macroeconomic and financial outcomes, and she writes on topics such as financial crises, financial regulations, elections and the economy, as well as democracy and the economy. So Puspa, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having me. We're talking about quite a grim topic uh, in the last few weeks in this podcast series, we've been focusing a lot on the issue of COVID-19, as is everybody else in the world at the moment, um, and also about Indonesia's handling of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, But this topic uh, that we're going to be talking about today, which is about uh, the economic impacts of COVID-19, is something that is not um, very well covered at the moment uh, in terms of Indonesia. So um, I'm very interested, uh, first of all, in asking you uh, about... uh, More broadly, what do you think are some of the likely impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on the Indonesian economy?
0: Well, thank you, Charles. I agree with you. I think this is a timely topic and I welcome the opportunity to have a conversation about this. If I may, I'm gonna put on my macroeconomic hat a little bit and talk about recessions. Now recessions are a big topic in macroeconomic theory and they are usually caused by economic dislocations that occur either through the supply channel and the demand channel. So, you know, supply and demand are things that most people agree with. understand. However, uh, in this specific context, a supply disruption, you can think of these as ups and downs in the amount of capital and labor that's available in the economy. The application in the current COVID crisis, when broad broad swaths of the labor force are told to stay at home and factories have to close, that's a negative shock on the supply and it's going to affect production. A survey by the Indonesian Institute of Sciences says that, 39% 39% of firms that they surveyed have already stopped production and 57 reported a reduction in production. So it's a real supply side impact that's negative. Right. Now on the demand side right. uh, you can think of these as any factor that causes consumers and government to spend less as well as firms to cut back on investment. Uh, as it applies to the COVID crisis, think of this as the labor force Uh, the consumers that are not spending as much, no haircut, no travel, no going to the mall to just hang out and have coffee with your friends, postponing uh, health procedures that are elective in nature, that's obviously going to have an effect on uh, the economy as well negatively. So although you can't always tell the difference between supply and demand channel, they're usually kind of mixed, but this time you're hit on both sides, so to speak.
1: Right. So... Also, because, like you said, the supply uh, channels have been far more limited after the start of the pandemic. Have we also been seeing um, an increase in in prices of of basic goods uh, and also services in Indonesia so far? You know what, Uh, mysteriously, when you talk about economic impact, uh,
0: the macroeconomic variables that you often discuss are gross domestic product, that's economic output and its growth, unemployment and inflation. Uh, Inflation or prices are things that we haven't really seen an increase or a spike in, but that's because, again, this is a crisis that's caused by both the demand and the supply channel. If there is a reduction in supply, which tends to cause prices to go up, uh, but with weak demand, that kind of puts a little bit of a downward pressure to keep the prices growth from going up a little bit more.
1: Right. Okay. So to speak,
0: we've also haven't seen that much uh, change in the uh, prices of goods and services around the world. Although there have been strains, uh, there have been warnings about the possibility of uh, food products, possibly commodities prices in some developing countries that might incur some disruptions due to the disruption in the supply chain. But I also wanted to add uh, in this COVID crisis, there's a third layer that, intermediates both the supply and the demand channel, which is an international factor, Charlotte. We know that a lot of this crisis, the health crisis, the the virus began in Wuhan, China. But what is also known is that Wuhan and China is a global production hub. So what that means is that China provides a lot of the intermediate good and capital goods that's needed for a lot of other countries' supply a lot of uh, factories in Indonesia have been uh, experiencing production disruptions also because of the supply chain interruption from China if you will. China is actually uh, exporting about 30-40 percent of uh, the world's uh, intermediate goods for uh, electronic goods and, uh, things of that nature and on the second part because China's economy domestic economy itself will also fall so that means China will demand less exports from countries like China, excuse me, from countries like Indonesia, I mean. And it is actually a large importer of Indonesian goods such as uh, palm oil and coal and energy uh, things like that. So we are again hit on the demand side and the supply side, specifically by the impact of China itself
1: in Indonesia. Thank you, Puspa, for uh, for bringing our perspective more on the on the macro level. Because you know, oftentimes when we think about uh, the immediate domestic implications of uh, a global pandemic uh, like this, particularly for an emerging economy like Indonesia, uh, we often think uh, very immediately about. You know, availability of goods in local markets and, you know, local prices. And we don't often think about it in terms of um, the impacts of disrupted global, uh, you know, global change of, uh, of goods and services. Going along with this topic, what do you think are some of the sectors of the economy that are likely to be hardest hit? And why do you think these sectors in particular will be badly affected?
0: Sure, Charlotte. This is a great question. We go into more of the micro aspects, if you will. Uh, well, um, let me just start with a little statistic already in the first quarter, the first three months of 2020, Indonesia's economy only grew by about 3% compared to the first quarter of 2019. That's a big drop from the previous quarter, which was 5%. And the largest cut actually came from consumption and investment. Okay, so uh, to go further on that, you can think of the sectors that are gonna be most likely hit uh, as the ones that are most likely affected by those supply, demand, and China factors that I just explained earlier. And simulations by uh, economists, such as uh, Susan Olivia from University of Waikato and uh, Arif Ansori Yusuf of University of Pajajaran have said that uh, from sectors, you can count on labor-intensive manufacturing Uh, to be hit, one of the biggest hardest hit. In fact, uh, Professor Yusuf's paper suggests that textile and textile product would fall by 12.3%, as well as wood products by about 8%. Second, of course, you may also think immediately, no travel, no planes, right? Sure, you have nice clearer skies and low carbon emission from travel, but also means no tourism and no entertainment. And relatedly, that also has uh, is predicted to lead to about a 14% contraction in the hotels. Again, these are numbers that I took from Professor Yusuf's uh, presentation. Uh, geographically, manufacturing is concentrated in, no surprise, Java, West Java, Banten, Jakarta, of course, right. uh, and Bali from the tourism. So therefore, it's the range of uh, economic contraction that's predicted from all of these uh, provinces altogether is pretty significant. But the biggest uh, pr- uh, prediction is for Jakarta. The Jakarta is expected to experience a negative 7.5% uh, wow. reduction in economic growth. And of course, third, my last one, is that uh, a lot of the uh, workers who are working in the auxiliary industry, think of this as office jobs, excuse me people that provide services that are related to office jobs so your uh, your uh, coffee sellers your uh, lunch and warung sellers on um, any uh, any of these little any of these uh, m- which many of them are in the informal and sme sector uh, whose production and income depend on people going to offices and with large social distancing which is of course uh, the prescribed solution to slow down the spread of the virus will definitely uh, impact sectors that are uh, directly related to these social distancing measures. In fact the Department of uh, Labor in Indonesia has already as of April 2020 A reported 1.5 million uh, formal workers have been furloughed and laid off, while about uh, 400,000 informal workers have been impacted.
1: Right. So already, uh, you know, from the three sectors that you've highlighted before, PUSPA, so you've got the manufacturing sector, you've got the tourism sector, and also the informal sector. Right. Um, In Indonesia, in Indonesia, uh, you know, these sectors employ tens and millions of people that will be affected by this. So my next question is, um, which sections of Indonesian society, and here I mean socioeconomic um, sections and also you mentioned before the geographic section of Indonesian society as well, do you think will be most severely affected by, you know, a a potential economic downturn, both during and also in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic? because i study also
0: financial crises charlotte if if i may i'm going to uh, do a little comparison between this particular crisis and other financial crises in the, uh, induced recession of course right usually what happens when you have a recession in countries around the world is you have a collapse of the banking sector which then leads to a reduction in credit and that then trickles down or translates into a reduction in economic activities right because credit is the lifeblood of the economy uh, also in previous recessions you don't have the whole world collapsing economically right. so what is weak economically uh, a weak domestic economy could be diverted to perhaps boosting the export external sector this one's a little different this crisis hits everybody across the board local versus external oriented firms small and large firms because of the supply and demand channel earlier is affecting excuse me is affected by both the social distancing and the global international channel so it's a little hard to single out which section will be hit most however i have thought about three and uh i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna discuss them uh next I think the first one is small and medium enterprises. Firms are going to be disproportionately hurt. This is because their small size means that they're not in possession of sufficient resources or reserves to withstand the simultaneous negative supply and demand shocks. A range of surveys suggests that most SME firms only have enough uh, savings for uh, two to three months ahead wow. before they might have to actually lay off some work. So first and foremost is definitely SMEs and any kind of employment related to that. The second one is not a firm, but uh, is not a particular sector. But I think sections of Indonesian society, uh, understandably, that are going to be hit most by this is the poor. As you know, Charlotte, we have about 25 million Indonesians that are living under the poverty line. Yes, uh, It's just under 10 percent in any crisis. Understandably, the poor are going to be most affected. So that's why a scaling up of social assistance that's directed to them is going to be most important, which I think I'll talk about more later. Okay. However, and this is the last one, the third that I wanna mention, is there's also a vulnerable portion of the Indonesian society who are what I call the, uh, the lower middle class or what uh, some people, some commentators have called the aspiring middle class. So think of these as mostly, again, people who work in the informal sector. These are people who are not poor enough to qualify for social assistance but uh, they, our income and employment sector is prone to pandemic-induced sudden stop of the economy. In fact, we've seen a lot of kind of like reverse migration from uh, them because they were, a lot of them were living in urban areas. And when, when the cities stop economic activities, they went back to their, uh, their Kampung Halaman, if you will, their hometowns and, uh, because of the loss of jobs there. And these are also the proportion of the society that doesn't have a lot of savings. So I mean, as best as I can to try to single out which sections that are going to be hit most. I think those three are the ones that we need to particularly pay attention to.
1: And this is worrying, isn't it? Because you know, if we look at uh, you know just the modern history of, of Indonesia, um, you know, like is the case with other um, in like other countries around the world. You know, whenever we see an economic downturn, um, there's always a danger that it will uh, reverberate as well into political instability. Right? Do you think this is something? Uh, Considering um, the scale and 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 the breadth of the potential economic fallout of this global pandemic, do you see any threats here of potentially economic instability leading to social and political unrest in in Indonesia under under the current administration? That's a question that's a little bit more difficult to answer, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. However, if I would.
0: If I, if, if just a little bit of a reflection on that, one is that whenever there are uh, social economic inequalities in society and there's not enough government assistance to help these groups, there's always going to be a fragile section of the society that could be lit, could be a trigger it's a it's a, it leads to a vulnerable situation as we know charlotte uh, around the world uh, income inequality has been rising over the past few decades including in the uh, emerging countries such as indonesia and our experience from eastern europe and latin america tells us that uh, the uh, people who were the squeeze middle class who are seeing a lot of they're they hard-working people but they're seeing a lot of uh, richer uh, people who are able to get uh, buy on connections get rich through connections they're unhappy with that and a lot of this economic dissatisfaction could make them prey to populist political entrepreneurs who could leverage this economic dissatisfaction in ways that could garner support for politicians that are well shall we say illiberal right and in that sense uh there i think a lot of the uh I think the government and the society as a whole needs to walk a fine line between managing the economic consequences of COVID and also managing people's expectations. showing leadership is really important in a time like this, I think, Charlotte.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, And and I guess like, you know, if we look at uh, some of the ways in which not just coverage of uh, the COVID-19 mitigation efforts in Indonesia, but also around the world, um, you know, most reports and analysis on governmental efforts to deal with COVID-19 tend to frame The choice of whether to save the economy, uh, for example, by not enacting full lockdown um, or to save lives and try to mitigate and flatten the curve as fast as possible, for instance, by putting in place a full lockdown um, and sacrificing the economy as being mutually exclusive or at odds with each other, right? Do you think that the Indonesian government can do both at the same time, um, aka saving the economy, or, or at least trying to minimize the economic impact while also saving lives um, at the same time? What What do you think? Is this, are these two really mutually exclusive, or is it possible to do both? That's
0: really a great uh, question, Charlotte. But if I may. Um among many economists that I've read commentators of and also people I collaborate with and communicate, uh, the saving the economy versus saving life is unfortunately, in our view, a false dichotomy. Right. In fact, an expert survey done in April 2020, done by a team of global researchers, including Rizki Naoli Siregar at the University of uh, California in Davis, found that 90% of Indonesian economists both in the private sector and in academia agree that ignoring uh, social distancing uh, and uh, mobility restrictions will actually incur even higher economic costs right that's because although saving the economy versus saving lives may seem like a trade-off at first if there are uh, excuse me it may seem like it's a trade-off at first because you do see the predictions from the epidemiology models quite clear that if there are no containment policies, no lockdowns or variations thereof, the prediction is one of a huge jump in number of cases or hospitalization rates, take your public health indicator of choice here, but for a shorter period of time and with a lower loss of GDP. However, what good is that if it leads to massive loss of lives, including perhaps the lives of medical staff, which means uh, human capital losses, which takes a long time to rebuild? What good is that if you overload the healthcare system, which also means you have overcrowded emergency rooms that could not only poorly deal with COVID-19 itself, but also means less public health resources for non-COVID related healthcare needs? So if we measure the economy only in terms of income or GDP loss, yes, perhaps there seems to be a trade-off between saving lives and saving the economy. However, if we consider the economy in a more holistic fashion, I think uh, most economies would kind of uh, look at welfare instead rather than just GDP. And the simple question would be what good is having a high economy or or high economic growth if you can't even have good health or have these Negative public
1: health outcomes. That's the, that's an excellent point, Puspa, and thank you for sharing uh, that that um, that data with us. So, in terms of trying to you know do this this balancing act, right? Like for the Indonesian government, what do you think the government can do now in terms of you know economic policy and stimulus packages to try to mitigate the effects of the pandemic while at the same time safeguarding the lives of its population?
0: Right, so that question that you just said there is, I believe, the million dollar question, right. and it really puts the finger on the spot uh, because. Public health and economics is actually so intertwined, improving the former and softening the blow from the collapse of the latter go hand in glove. And in fact, we already see these conversations now in the media as discussions about how to reopen the economy comes about and the inevitable potential fear of a second wave coming we realize that how much we can actually reopen the economy will depend on how successfully we contain, how successfully we can contain the pandemic. Uh, That said, I do think that there are a number of things that the Indonesian government can uh, implement in the meantime, and those policies that I see are actually already being uh, taken quite seriously by Indonesian government. I think I've been quite impressed to be quite honest to looking at the uh, responses and the Active public communication strategies of people in uh, of technocrats in the Ministry of Finance, uh, Bank Indonesia, the coordinating minister and the coordinating minister of economy as a whole. Let me offer uh, three different points in terms of policy, Charlotte. In terms of how I think uh, a government can try to minimize this trade-off between uh, economic. uh, output and social distancing that puts a sudden stop on economic activities. Great. Uh, One, since earlier we talked about the poor being one of the most affected in this uh, pandemic, so we should actually uh, scale up social assistance to help households, help households who are poor and help those who are uh, actually going, even in the the poor and the the middle class or the lower middle class uh, who are affected by COVID-19. So scaling up uh, social assistance that's been done already by the U.S. Excuse me, by the Indonesian government, I believe up to four percent of GDP of top up of the existing social assistance measures that traditionally hit the people who are in the bottom quintile of the bottom uh, portion of the income distribution that's already been uh, in put in place. The second, uh, since this is a public health and humanitarian crisis uh, first and foremost, uh, it's. It's, uh, of course, important to also build up public health facilities, including uh, government fiscal or disaster relief packages that could actually help tackle and contain the spread of the pandemic and get us to a true sense of how severe is the spread right now. So that means massive testing schemes, contact tracing, uh, and also a buildup of the public health facilities itself, You know, maybe improving the number of Uh, including improving the number of uh, health facilities. Um, And um, the third one is, as I mentioned earlier, there was also this uh, portion of society that is uh, not traditionally poor. So they don't traditionally receive or are eligible for the social assistance programs. Um, They have also It's also important to target assistance to these households, those who are not poor but prone to being poor. And so, in that sense, it's uh, it's good for me to see that the Indonesian government has doubled the uh, unemployment benefits under the uh, pre-work or prakerja kartu prakerja scheme. Yes, right, Uh, and they've also scaled up uh, the village. Uh, the LT, cash transfers to the village right. and uh, they've made it more generous and they've also tried to uh, hit people who are uh, who are temporarily uh, out of work because of the COVID so the funds are going to be direct transferred directly to the village funds bank account in collaboration with the ministry of finance and the ministry of uh, villages and local development so and Earlier, I also said that this crisis hits all sectors. Uh, It hits across the board, and firms are an important portion also of the society. Uh, There have also been measures that uh, are targeted to helping firms and businesses stay afloat. So, because if firms can still stay afloat during the economy, when the economy is put on hibernation mode, if you will, uh, they also need a little bit of assistance help them stay afloat and not uh, fire their workers or lay out their workers. This includes uh, easing of payroll taxes and also some uh, debt moratorium, some easing up on uh, the, the, ability, uh, the uh, firm's
1: debt obligations, if you will. In terms of how the Indonesian government's doing, in terms of their efforts to deal with the economic impacts of COVID-19 so far, how do they compare with other emerging economy countries, for instance, you know, perhaps Brazil or you know um, other countries with similar profiles as, as Indonesia? Do we have a sense of, of how, how they compare in, in, this, in this situation? Uh, I have maybe
0: uh, not a very uh, precise answer to that, Charlotte, Mm -hmm. because the emerging markets uh, responses have been quite varied. Compared to other emerging uh, markets or countries that are in similar state of development as Indonesia, I could probably point to India. India has also quickly, the, it's Indonesia, the Indian government has also quickly delivered a, a package of assistance and in terms of size to GDP, it's kind of comparable with where we are. And also, Charlotte, if I may add that the stimulus in Indonesia was, uh, the, the one that I mentioned earlier, it was uh, passed through parliament in mid-March, but also in May, the increase that number by about 50 to 60% upon realization that the first quarter GDP growth was actually worse than thought. So the nimbleness of these responses have uh, also needs to Needs to be pointed out, in my view. Although I should also say, I know, I know. Earlier, I was uh, point highlighting the positive aspects of the responses. However, I should also say that just like many other emerging markets, the Indonesian economy is not one that has a huge fiscal space. Right. That is when the government is uh, having a reduction in its revenues, but have to actually increase spending, uh, they may increase its budget deficit. And so that's something that is a concern for all uh, countries around the world, but in particular for emerging markets, uh, that's uh, that's more of a serious concern. I also did want to mention though, uh, although economically uh, I think the responses are size-wise are kind of on par. Uh, however, there should be a little bit more of a clear and decisive strategy about what is the public health strategy in Indonesia for dealing with this COVID crisis, because Countries that I see who've been able to minimize the trade-off between saving lives and saving the economy are those the the ones who took quick, decisive actions and communicated well uh, about what their policy is. If it's a lockdown, let's do it a lockdown. If it's a partial lockdown, let's do a partial lockdown. And also, those policies are accompanied by a clear public education on what social distancing means, what a lockdown means, what you can or cannot do. Can you go to the grocery store? Can you walk your dog? Can you uh, exercise? Those kinds of things. So it's not just the economic policies itself to mitigate the impact, but also the more general public health policies. I think those are also important.
1: Puspa, thank you so much for a really insightful, informative, uh, and comprehensive micro and macroeconomic analysis that you've given us today.
0: Thank you, Charlotte. It was my pleasure and uh, all the best for Talking
1: Indonesia. Thank you. That was my conversation with Dr. Puspa Delima Amri. Talking Indonesia will return next week on the 11th of June for another one of our special edition of Policy in Focus with Dave McRae. Remember that you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog, subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode, or find us via your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been Charlotte Steady for the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now.